You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning, Mill Creek family. I'm Dennis. I'm one of the interns here. Um, read with me from Romans 15, 14 through 33. In the chair back Bibles in front of you, it is on page 656. Join with me in reading Romans 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered it to them, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I ask that you would speak through Jeremy, God, and give us a new understanding of of your peace and your presence and your hope as Jeremy brings the message this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dennis. Trust, hard to gain, easy to lose. Trust is hard to gain, easy to lose. If, 
If you're here and you've never had to learn that lesson, man, I am jealous And I suppose just wait. You're on one side of it or the other. Because trust, man, hard to gain, easy to lose. I see in this cultural moment so much distrust littering our society. I don't know if politics and COVID and racism started it or merely accelerated it, but it seems like there is this cultural question everyone's asking, can we trust the government or the history that we learned when we were kids? Can we trust the science? Can we trust the media? Can we trust medical experts? Who is trustworthy? And what do we do if we've lost trust? Man, trust, hard to gain, easy to lose. And, and I'm sad to say that the trust issues that, that happen out there, you probably see out there, it acts in here as well. The church struggling with the same issues. But trust... It, and it's crucial to Christianity, and trust has always been crucial to Christianity because at the heart of the gospel is, is a trust in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished. So it makes sense to me that if you're the enemy, you would want to sow as much distrust in a church as possible. Now, what does distrust look like in a church? I like the way one author puts it in the book, The Speed of Trust. Here's their description. In a high trust relationship, you can say the wrong thing and people will still get your meaning. But in a low trust relationship, you can be very measured, even precise, and they'll still misinterpret. Man, in a church, trust is so crucial. Distrust can manifest itself in several different ways. It can be a skeptical question about the leadership or direction. Sometimes it manifests itself in relationship to another person in the church. You're, you're skeptical about their motives. In fact, you're judgmental and you decide what their motives are. Distrust can be an unwillingness to give the benefit of the doubt. And it's deadly. It starts with a root of bitterness. It grows into a flower of anger and then blossoms with this aroma that is ultimately deadly to a group of Christians. So if distrust is all around us, what is a church to do? To safeguard itself, or more to the point of our text, if a church is struggling to trust the shepherd, if a church is struggling to trust the person preaching, how should that distrust be addressed? 
This morning we find Paul here in Romans 15 transitioning from the gospel behavior that he started in Romans 12 to the gospel conclusion that God willing we get to before the end of the year. And he sensitively addresses those in the Roman church who were expressing distrust. Paul, having written so clearly, he's so plain, it's, it's so straightforward, I think he realizes he has potentially overdrawn on his relational account with the church in Rome. And he realizes there may be some who are struggling at this point of the letter to trust me. For any in that church struggling with Paul's motives, this part of the letter is to assure his readers by having Paul say, let me tell you my heart for you, church. I want to tell you my heart. I want to tell you my heart for church planting. And I want to tell you my heart for prayer. Those are the three parts of this section. They'll be the three parts of this sermon, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open up to Romans 15, starting with verse 14? I, I want to show you the text that I didn't just decide this week to talk about trust willy-nilly. Nope, it's in the text. I want to preach what God has put there. Let's start with our first big idea. Paul's heart for the church. Paul's heart for the church in Rome. Let me just read verse 14. Call your attention to it. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, who yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. R right out of the gate, Paul expresses his heart for the church. I am satisfied, which I found to be a really weird word. <laughs> like like if, I, if I go home and, and, and my wife says, I made for you my world-famous white chili, and I said, girl, I am satisfied. Or she, she gets her hair done, and she says, what do you think? And I go, satisfied? Pro tip. That ain't going to work. That's of all the words, why is Paul saying he's satisfied? So I did some homework on the term. It turns out he uses this very same word in the original language in Romans chapter 8 when he says, I am sure that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I am sure. It's the same word as satisfied. I am satisfied that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Further investigation helps us appreciate that what Paul's communicating is his confidence to the church. Paul's saying, Roman church, I've got, I've got full faith that y'all are going to be okay. I have full faith. And I am confident of that you are, well, did you see the three things he's confident about? Full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's encouraging. That's reassurance. I get that the word satisfied may not strike us in the exact same way that that original word would have struck them. But understand, Paul's heart is, y'all aren't some dumpster fire church that I just noticed on the way to work. It's like, good luck. Paul has firm faith. 
Well, that's encouraging. Uh, But that's not all. Verse 15, Paul writes, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. For those in the church feeling sensitive about what Paul has addressed, this is is helpful. Like, like, Like Paul's identifying the elephant in the room. I know that we've, we've taken the better part of a year to preach through this letter. And so you might not have on the top of your mind that the way it worked is they brought this letter on a Sunday morning to the church in Rome. And then they just read it beginning to end. And if you were to do that, read Romans 1 beginning to end. It'd take you about an hour. Y'all welcome for 40-minute sermons because that one's a 60-minute one. That's the way it happens. And, 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 and it's helpful that Paul's here beginning to come to the end of the sermon going, hey, I know I said some strong stuff. You think? Like, do you remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, like he, he doesn't even give much of an intro. It's basically like, hey, I'm Paul. I'm a baller. Let's, let's go. And, 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 and in 118, he's like a minute into this little sermon, and he says, all y'all pagans in this room, y'all are under the judgment of God. You deserve wrath. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, who, who was a guest that, that morning and showed up at, at the church in Rome? As, I was just checking you all out, see what you're doing. Hey, if you're, if you're here for the first time, we'd love to get your welcome card, and we'd like to give you a little something. And Paul comes up and says, y'all are going to hell. <laughs> I mean, thank you for coming. And, and just in case the, the, the godless pagans weren't feeling bad enough, In chapter 2, verse 1, now we're only like four minutes into his little sermonette, when he says, oh, all y'all religious people, you too, under the judgment of God, y'all going to hell, under God's wrath, you cannot earn salvation. By the time he gets to Romans 3, just in case anybody slept through the little bit of an introduction he did, he says, no one is righteous. No, not one. You could... Yeah, you could say Paul was kind of bold. If that wasn't enough, you, you find yourself in Romans 8 where he says, hey, if you're a Christian, just so you know, you're going to suffer. Like how many people became a Christian under the idea that if, oh, if I love Jesus, all my life is going to be just great. I want to have the best life today. Well, then don't be a Christian, because this thing's suffering. That's what Paul preaches. So that's hard. Then he gets to Romans 9 to 11, and he goes, oh, by the way, God's sovereign in salvation, which means that if you get in heaven, the only reason you're there is because of God. But if you find yourself in hell, that's because you deserve it. I remember preaching through Romans 9 and 10, and I don't think any of us left those sermons feeling particularly good. And then he gets to Romans 13, and he says, oh, yeah, by the way, you're also going to submit to the government. Well, that felt great. Thanks, Paul. Followed by Romans 14, which he says, when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being a church, you have got to stop fighting over your pet conscience issues. I want to eat meat. I don't want to eat meat. I don't want to eat meat. I want to eat meat. He says, quit fighting over your pet conscience issues. You need to fight for unity. Paul has been so clear, so straightforward. But as you read the book of Romans, you might be thinking, 
I think, I think Paul was trying to pick a fight with these people. Why else is he saying all of this? And that's why he takes this moment in Romans 15, I think, to assure all that are listening to him, man, you can trust me. You can trust me. I know I wrote boldly, but it's for your good because I want to remind you of how Christians are supposed to live lest you forget. And then for any who are wondering his credentials, because undoubtedly there would have been people in the church of Rome who, who they've been listening. He's like at minute 52 and they're like, come on, bro, get this sermon done with. And by the way, who does this cat think he is? Right to us that's so bold and so condescending. That's why Paul says he gives us a little bit of his credentials. Do you see? Middle of 15. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. For any in the Roman church who are going, I don't, I don't really trust your motives, Paul connects his ministry to the ministry of an Old Testament priest. If, if you're here and you're not very familiar with the Old Testament, one of the important roles in the Old Testament was the priest who would bring sacrifices and help mediate the relationship between the people of God and God himself. That's what the priest did. And, and in these two verses, 15b and 16, there's five priestly words that Paul uses on purpose to show his heart to the Roman church, that see, he sees himself motivated in the same way the Old Testament priests were motivated. If you want to circle the words, it's minister. That's an Old Testament sacrificial word. So is priestly service. So is offering. So is acceptable. So is sanctified. Here's Paul's heart then for them. He's saying, look, Romans, you can, you can believe me. Take me at, at face value. Man, I'm satisfied with you. I'm confident you're going to be okay, church. And yeah, I wrote boldly, but I did it so that you would not forget what's so crucial. And I know y'all going to have some critics in your church. Some of you are going to think poorly of me, but know my heart. It's just like the Old Testament priest, it's for your good. That's my heart for you. That's what Paul's saying in this part. A question for us to consider. Now, what would Paul's heart be for Mill Creek? What would Paul's heart be for Mill Creek? Of course, we, we don't know for sure. I was hoping there was a little postscript in there that said, oh, by the way, Mill Creek 2021, a word to you, it ain't there. But, but I'm confident if, if Paul were here, I'm confident he would say, look, if you are entrusting yourselves to the gospel I preached, he would say with confidence, if, if you as a church are studying what I've expressed and you're looking to live with gospel-centered goodness, if you're reminding one another of this gospel, I'm confident that Paul would say, I'm satisfied with you. If he's satisfied with them for the way they're taking his letter and trusting him and applying it, and if we do the same, I'm confident he'd be satisfied with us. I think if he were here, he'd say, hey, Mill Creek, take my letter serious. Serious. 
This is the legit gospel. I'm a priest. I'm a priest of God, fashioned in the Old Testament sense. And if you take it for real, if you study it and you teach each other, you share that with one another, you remind one another, you sing it to one another. When you leave this building, you encourage one another in this gospel, man, you're going to be okay. That's encouraging to me. Church, you know, I'm, I'm no Paul. But I do want to share my heart for you. My heart for you is that you and I, we, would be committed to this gospel. That we would read it, we would look to understand it, and we would encourage each other, reminding each other about what it is and what it means. I know you need that. I need it too. We need each other. And in and, and church, I, I want you to know I'm really grateful to get to be a pastor to you. I'm honored. I'm honored. That's my heart for you. And I'm encouraged because I see us growing to be like Jesus. I don't know all your stories, but I know some of your stories and you're pushing in. And you're looking to apply the text and live faithful. That's encouraging to me. I'm growing in Jesus. You're growing in Jesus. And in the best sense of the word, then I, I'd say, man, I'm satisfied. Not in the nasty meaning of it, but in the good meaning of it. But I'm satisfied with you. I'm confident. We stick to the text. We're going to be okay, church. But friend, if you're here and you're struggling to trust me, or you're struggling to trust the elders or leaders of this church, if you're struggling with the overall direction, then here's our heart. We want to be about what the scripture is about. And so that's Paul's heart for the church. He now wants to transition, and he wants to share his heart for church planting. Move with me to verse 17. I draw this from verse 17 to 29. Let me just read the first couple verses here, though, in 17. In Christ Jesus, then, Paul says, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and, and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, now if you're listening and you're going, wait, that was Paul's heart for church planting? Why did he say like 27,000 things? I, I don't know where his heart for church planting is. I grant he takes the long way around to get there, but it's really verse 20 that shows his heart. If you want to lean into verse 20, that's his heart for church planting. He says, I want to go preach Jesus where Jesus has not been named yet. And if you follow, follow the model that Paul represents in the book of Acts, you'll see he goes to a new city, he preaches the gospel, people hear the gospel, they get gathered into a church. The church then continues preaching the gospel, more people hear the gospel, believe and join the church. And then they send out more gospel ministers all over the region to plant more churches. You see that the, 
the missions strategy in the New Testament is preach the gospel, churches are planted, send out more missionaries to go preach the gospel and plant more churches. That's Paul's strategy. And what Paul's saying is, man, I have been about this work. And, and this is very encouraging to somebody in the church of Rome. It would have been an aha moment because remember, Paul's been ministering for 20 years and he's never made it to visit this church. Now, I'm sure there were some nice people in that church. Just like some of you would be nice enough, you'd give the benefit of the doubt. Oh, Paul hasn't been here for 20 years, but I'm sure he's busy. That guy's a go-getter. He's fine. But then there's others of you who you're 20 years, he hadn't made it. A, he hadn't a, that guy ain't just busy. That guy don't like us. Like if, if somebody's been asking you to go out on like a couple's date, and like for 20 years they keep saying no. <laughs> Like, like, read between the lines, you know? <laughs> they ain't wanting to hang out with you. Real sorry. Fellas, if you've asked a girl out and for 20 years she said no, you need to pray to the Lord to ask a new lady out, okay? And I think at this point there would be people in the church of Rome. They've been listening to, they've been listening to the 50 minutes of this sermon and they're like, this guy, are you kidding me? This guy hasn't even made the time to come visit us. I don't trust him. And now they go, oh. That's because this guy's been about the mission. This guy's been working his tail off planting churches all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is, which is a way of saying, from Paul's perspective, I had a to-do list of gospel saturation in the Mediterranean region. Check. Wow, I guess he has been working. But, but wait, how could, how could Paul say, I am so completely finished planting churches in the Mediterranean region that I'm going to come to see you in Rome, that would have been Italy for those of you who struggle with geography like I do, and, and then he wants to go to Spain further west. And the reason he wants to go to Spain is because he wants to preach Jesus where Jesus has not yet been preached, yeah. But how can he say he's all the way done? Because undoubtedly, there would have been a few people who still didn't know Jesus in these regions. I, I really like how Pastor John Stott explains this because, because it's not Paul attempting to say everybody's become a Christian. Here's the quote. Paul's strategy was to evangelize the populous and influential cities, plant churches there, and then leave to others the radiation of the gospel into the surrounding villages. So... We understand his claim to have completed the gospel of Christ to be a claim to have completed that trailblazing pioneer preaching of it, which he believed it was his own special apostolic mission to accomplish. Had Paul come through this part of the world and was alive in this moment, he would have planted a church somewhere in Kansas City and then entrusted that Kansas City church to then plant churches in sub metro areas of the city. Make sense? That's the way Paul did it. So if he had a church planted in Kansas City, it may not be in Shawnee proper yet, but he would have trusted that Kansas City church is going to plant a church in that area. And this, in Paul's view, it fulfilled Isaiah 52, 15, which if you look in the text is his cross-reference here. Paul going back to the Old Testament to go, look, I'm doing what the Old Testament says I'm supposed to do. I'm preaching Jesus where Jesus has not yet been preached. That's why I'm good with the Mediterranean region, and now I'm headed to Spain. For those today more familiar with church planting and missions strategy, 
we would call Paul a missionary to unreached people groups. Would you say unreached people groups on the count of three? One, two, three. Unreached people groups. Unreached people groups. UPG. It's a group of people who, when they leave their home to go to the supermarket, they don't drive or walk by 27 different churches. Unreached people groups. You, you go there and you go, hey, what church do you go to? They're like, what's a church? Unreached people groups are places where if you start going through a tragedy and you want somebody to pray in Jesus' name, you don't know anybody who prays in Jesus' name. You can check out joshuaproject.net for some information about how many tongues, tribes, and nations are still outstanding in our present day. People who don't have the word of God in their native heart language yet. Paul's heart reminds us that we are to be about planting churches in this region. We do want to radiate the gospel to other places, but, but we must work to plant churches in unreached areas as well. Mill Creek, we have to be about both planting churches here, but also planting churches in areas that are hard to reach. One of the reasons there aren't churches planted there is because they're so hard to reach. Missionaries like to call this the 1040 window. If you've never heard of the 1040 window, here's a picture. It's 10 degrees north by 40 degrees north latitude on a map. You have thousands of unreached people group today in the 1040 window. And what Paul's doing is he's saying, that's my heart. I want to see people, I want to see people who don't yet know Jesus, know Jesus in places he's not been preached. And this is, a sh this is reassuring and comforting Romans who were questioning his motives. And, and it, it explains in verse 22 why he says, this is the reason why I have been so hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, the Mediterranean, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I know it's been 20 years, church, but I really do want to hang out with you. 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. To be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Here's what I want to do, church. I want to stop, see you all. And then I want you to support me as I go plant more churches in Spain. I want to be about the mission. That's where he's been. That's where he's going. And then he tells them where he's at right now, 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And what Paul's doing right now as he prepares to go to Spain via Rome, as he's taking these material blessings, what, what I understand to be money, to those in the Jerusalem church who don't have much. Why is there a famine in Jerusalem? Or excuse me, why, why are they so in need in Jerusalem? It could be because of a famine. It could be because the Jewish Christians there are being persecuted. Regardless, there are Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, the heart of the Judean Empire, who need financial contributions, and Paul says, I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to take all this money I've raised from Gentile churches to the heart of the Jewish capital city and give it to these Jewish Christians. 
And if you read between the lines there, what you realize is Paul is laboring hard to bring unity between all the Gentile churches he's planted in the Mediterranean region and the Jerusalem churches full of ethnic Israelites who now love Jesus. Like I did my geography. He's in the city of Corinth, and he's only 800 miles away from Rome. But if he decides to go all the way to Jerusalem first, it's going to be an extra 2,200 miles. And this cat's not a frequent flyer. He's not driving. What it shows us is Paul has a heart for unity between Gentiles and Jews. I mean, we've seen his heart in the book of Romans is that the Jews and Gentiles would find unity. He wants ethnic reconciliation, but he doesn't just want it in the church in Rome. He wants it, the global church, because he knows a unified global church is going to be about the mission way more than all these little separatist cliques. And his heart then for the global church is the same heart for the Roman church. He wants the Roman church unified so that when he gets there and enjoys their presence for a while, they can come together, not have to start two new churches because they can't agree about whether you should have veggies and meat at the potluck. He wants them to be one church so they can then launch him out to Spain. Here then is Paul's heart for church planting, that the unity of the church would lead to more church planting. Question for us, Mill Creek, what's our heart for unity and church planting? Maybe you're new to Mill Creek, you're just checking us out, you're wondering, y'all give a rip about church unity in this place? We do. Elders gave five weeks to a sermon series on how to reconcile conflict biblically. If you are struggling with how to reconcile a relationship like so many of us are, we'd encourage you to go listen to that sermon series. Just a couple months ago, we walked through those five weeks, and we've been in the book of Romans, which has one of its dominant themes, church unity. Yes, our elders care about church unity, and, and we are dedicated to working together for unity, and we're dedicated to meeting with those who are struggling with unity and expressing our heart and God's heart for unity among God's people. Yeah, we give a rip about church unity, and we give a rip about church planting. And if you're unaware, church planting is way high on our priorities. When I say missions, when I say missions strategies, when I think about missionaries, I am thinking church planting. It is the biblical way that we do missions and we contribute to church planting, not least of which, which is financial. That's Pastor Marty, Pastor Dave, run the numbers. We gave over $100,000 to date this year to church planting. It's all y'all. Great job. 13.6% of every dollar that comes in, we've given to church planting to date. And that's not even jumping up on what we're going to get done in December. Y'all give in December like you always give in December. That may double before the end of the year. If you're unaware, we've not only contributed financially to church planting, we've partnered to see a uh, church planted in Bonner Springs. We've 
worked with different people who planted churches in different areas, but it was Cody and Amanda Waterman who were a significant part of our church as church planting residents a couple years ago, and we had 40 adults and 40 kids, and we launched them up to Bonner. And um, if you drive through Bonner today, downtown Bonner, there's a church building that moved, and it's being rented, and uh, Cody and the, the leaders up there have been, they have a heart for Bonner. They, they want to see they want to see Jesus known in the Bonner community and beyond. And Cody said, man, we just have such a heart for Bonner. And now I think it's so cool. As you through Bonner, there in the heart of Bonner is a church with a heart for Bonner. Man, we're committed to church planting, not just financially, not just planting churches. Pastor Dave, if you didn't know, he's networking with local church planters. Pastor Marty, he's helping recruit and, and, and train and equip emerging church planters. And, and I might mention, that's not all. Remember, if you were here this last January, we do this thing called Vision Sunday. I hope you join us. It's the week between the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl, so that if you give a rip about football, you always know what week is Vision Sunday, so I know football going to compete for Vision Sunday. And then on Vision Sunday last year, we talked about, dear Lord, would you please bring a church planting couple so we could church plant again? Like right now, we don't know what the Lord's going to do, but we've been praying and asking the Lord if Jonathan and Dora Drendel are the next church planters that we're supposed to launch out. Lord, do you want to plant them? If so, where? Uh, one of the coolest moments last elder meeting. Elders were on their knees together asking the Lord, would you like to church plant them? Show us. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But what I'm trying to show you is our heart is for a unified church so we can be about church planting, and I haven't even talked about unreached people groups yet. The Vardis are church planting in Hungary. The Gibsons are working with Persians in major metro areas here, virtually connected to, to Persians who are all over the 1040 window. Several of our missionary families right now are preparing to go back into areas where you don't get to have a missionary visa necessarily. You're going in and you're going to teach and preach about Jesus not to mention right now, I'm confident that some of you in this room are called to be church planters. Some of you are going to be called to join the next church we plant, and you're supposed to go. And you're thinking like some of us, oh, I ain't going, bro. I ain't going nowhere. Well, good luck telling God that. What are you going to tell God? No. Dear Lord, you're my Lord, except when you ask me to do something I don't want to do, then I'm the Lord. No, that ain't how it works. Some of you are going to go church plant here. Some of you, you're called to be a missionary. You're going to go be a church planter overseas. Some of you are going to go to unreached people groups. We're going to Skype you. FaceTime you on a screen at a Sunday night forum on Vision Sunday and say, go get them. Keep planting churches. If the Lord's calling you to go church plant, then we want to help you. I hope you see then how Paul's heart for church planting a church unified so it can be about planting is informing and driving Mill Creek's desire to do the same. But we've now considered Paul's heart for that church and his heart for church planting. Let's move to our final big idea, Paul's heart for prayer. It's the last couple of verses. Paul transitions and asks for prayer. Verse 30, I appeal to you, my brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God 
on my behalf. Paul knows this church has been struggling with unity. So he's saying, would you strive to pray with me? For any in the Roman church then who are struggling to give Paul the benefit of the doubt, what a great piece of medicine he gives that church. Pray for me. Translation, if you're struggling to trust today, you're struggling to trust leaders, pray for them. If you're struggling to trust one another, pray for them. Or grab them and pray with them. If you're in a relationship and you're struggling with trust, begin to pray together. Three prayer requests Paul has. It's unity, trust, and mission. Unity, that they'd strive together. We trust one another. And then that he would be about the mission because remember, he's going to go to Judea. He's going to take that money back to Jerusalem, which if you forgot, they hated Paul. They wanted to kill him. So you could appreciate if you're going to be traveling and somebody's going to want to kill you, you'd be like, hey, did you all pray for me because I'm about ready to put my life on the line. He wants to make it to Rome safely. He wants the church to be unified. He wants the Jerusalem church to receive this charitable donation, and he wants to be on mission. And he ends in verse 33, possible fourth request. May the God of peace be with you all. May the God of peace be with you all. And a final question here for us to consider. Made me wonder, are we praying like Paul? Church, are we praying like Paul? Like, what's your prayer life like? Is it about church unity? Is it about growing in trust? Is it about mission? Like, I confess, my prayer life often sounds a lot more like a first grader's Christmas wish list. Uh, dear Santa, I mean Jesus, would you please give me all this stuff that I thought would make me very comfortable and very happy? Lord, would you please give me this idol and that idol? Oh, and that one over there, that one looks good too. In Jesus' name, amen. And too often my prayers can be all about me. But what's animating Paul's prayer is a heart for unity, a heart of trust, a heart of mission. Man, a real quick next step if you're struggling to pray on mission is to grab one of our missionary prayer cards that are out at the Welcome Center. We've printed enough. You could, y'all could grab one. Be praying for the mission. But, but look, it's this prayer question that ends up revealing our hearts because we've been able to see Paul's heart, but I think it's this question about prayer that reveals our hearts because if you show me what you pray for, it gives a window into what you're really trusting in. I've heard it said, show me what a person prays for when they're all by themselves, just before God. That's who they really are. And church, may we be the kind of people who when nobody's looking, between us and God, we're praying like Paul for unity and trust that we'd be on mission. And that the peace of God then would lead us. No matter what happens tomorrow, we trust in the peace of God. For it is, of course, the peace of God that Paul needed. Because do you remember how it works with Paul's story? Do you remember the book of Acts, what happens? He does leave Corinth, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he goes into the temple. And do you remember what happens to Paul? He gets arrested, falsely accused. I mean, he had asked, hey, Romans, pray for safe travels. 
I mean, he doesn't say the hedge of protection thing around here, so wherever that comes from. But it's like that. Give me that hedge of protection, and it don't come. Not so different than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who says, please, Lord, not this. Please, Lord, not this. Jesus' prayers weren't answered in the way he had asked there, but not my will, your will be done. Paul's prayers for safe travel not answered in the way that he necessarily would have wanted, I trust. He got arrested. You remember what happens then? He's under arrest and he gets sent to Rome, put on a ship, shipwrecked, ends up at an island, snake bitten. They thought he was going to die. He finally makes it to Rome like God wanted, but in a different way. Falsely accused and arrested, though God of peace was a God that Paul needed in his journey to Rome. And the God of peace is the same God Jesus needed when he had to face circumstances and prayers that went unanswered. Here's the encouragement for us. If you're here and you're struggling to trust, if you're struggling to trust leadership, one another, culture, you can entrust yourself to the God of peace. Say, hey, you know what, God of peace? I don't have any control over all of this. But in your prayer time, you could say, Lord, would you please give, give me your peace, that, that your peace would be with me in the midst of this difficult troubling life. If you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, there is no promise of peace for you. you you're not going to have any peace today, and you're not going to have any peace someday after judgment. If you're here and you want to know true peace, then repent of your sin. Jesus, then I don't deserve eternity with you. I don't deserve to have my sins paid for. I don't deserve to have peace with you. But please, I'm sorry, would, would you forgive me for my sin? He would give you true peace. If you're struggling here, non-Christian or a Christian, struggling to trust in God, for all of us, man, look at the cross. Look at God's heart for you, where he gave you peace with God because of Christ's sacrifice. Church, Christ loves us. He gave us his peace that we could have unity with one another and be about his mission. May the God of peace unite us both in belief and behavior so we could plant churches everywhere. Will you pray with me, please? Now, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and spirit, you, you do it only you can. I pray your word would do your work. If anybody's here and they don't, they don't yet trust you, I pray you would give them peace. Save them. For those who do, Spirit, would you grow us, make us more like Christ. We love you. Grant us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.